power. It shapes our world. What power do we really have? Does it come with incredible wealth or with a position of governance? There is a power that comes from God. A power that enables. A power that changes lives forever. The power of words. How you doing? Doing good? It's good to see you. Um, I have in my notes that I, that I was going to say good morning, church family, because I very much consider you family. And um, so that kind of quells my nerves. Um, but I don't know about you, but I always get excited when we start a new series. I always get real excited until I see what part of the series gets allotted to me. <laughs> so as I looked down the list and I saw my name and I looked across and I thought, the power of words. Oh no, oh no. Um, now I know we covered the power of the tongue during our Traveling Light series, but obviously Craig, our senior pastor, decided that we needed another round, another go at it, and let's give it to the talker. Right here. Let's give it to the talker. Now I've said this before, many times before, that even though the outer body may be falling apart, the mouth, the mouth, is working just fine. My mouth is working just fine. So, hope it doesn't go up any more than that. Uh, um, I've, yeah, so this morning, y'all are going to join me in my pain because it's been a real confronting week um, as I've been preparing for this. But before we get after it and dig into God's word, let's pray. God, it's an awesome thing to be in your presence, to be in your house with your people. And, we, and I want to be mindful of that. And so, God, I just pray. I just pray that you would be glorified by the things um, that I say today, God. That you would hide my, my mouth, my words, my flesh behind the cross, and that people would only see you. Be glorified in our midst, God. Crack us wide open pour in the things that you would have for us. And oh God, have your way, have your way, have your way. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. So when we go to the doctors, one of the first things a doctor will ask you to do is to stick out your tongue. Why is that? Why is that? Because when you stick out your tongue, it often reveals underlying health issues. And that is what we are doing this morning, checking the health of our tongues, which, reveal, which will reveal our spiritual health that, and the health of our souls. So church, with me, I want you to stick out your tongue and say, ah, <laughs> ah. Now, here are some fun tongue facts. Did you know that the chameleon's tongue is twice the size of its body? That a blue whale's tongue weighs the same as a Ford truck? Yes, and our tongue only weighs 30 ounces. And every phrase we speak consists of 100 different muscles in the chest, neck, jaw, tongue, and lips, all moving together to help us speak. 
You know, I read this in a transcript, which I found so interesting. It says that the average person, that the average person, not the overly talkative person or the super shy one, but the average person spends one-fifth of their life talking. Um, if all our words were put into print, the results would be this. A single day's words would fill up a 50-page book. In a year's time, the average person's words would fill 132 books with 200 pages each. And that's just average. And wherever you find yourself on that spectrum where your words would hardly even fill the bookshelf or your words could fill libraries, um, the point is we are constantly talking. We are. We talk to ourselves, we talk to others, and yes, Text, emails, instant messaging, Facebook posts, Instagram, blogging, and tweets all count. We are a communicating creature created by a God who communicates via words. And so we are constantly talking, constantly thinking, constantly sharing what we think. I mean, check out these stats for New Zealand's um, internet usage, which I found fascinating. It's taken in January 28, man. Y'all are connected. New Zealand, for a small country, loves the internet. We love it. And, and I think, I actually thought the stats would be higher, but I'm assuming that those not connected are either live in super rural areas or are babies, because we are all connected. You see, words are powerful. Words matter. We are living in a time in history where words abound, where words have just exploded. But sometimes, sometimes our words can get lost in translation. Check out the short clip of the German Coast Guard and one of their trainees on their very, very first day. Das hier ist mein Sektor. Das hier ist das wichtigste Gerät des Küstenwächters. Das Gerät und das Gerät. Überlebensradar. Mayday, Mayday. Hello, can you hear us? Can you hear us? Can you... Okay, over. We are sinking. We are sinking. Hello? This is the German Coast Guard. What are you thinking about? Words matter. What are you thinking about? You know, <laughs> we've all heard the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will. Or the one that was floating around um, years ago is, have you heard this one? I'm rubber and you're glue. Whatever you say bounces off me and sticks to you. You know, we've all heard and said these kinds of phrases that we know, that we know are not true. We know that the heart and mind are harder to mend than a broken bone. And I think if we're honest, that most of us would acknowledge that a lot of hurt that we've experienced in our lives has come from words. Words that we have spoken and words that have been spoken by us or about us. Words are powerful. Words spoken are often impossible to bring back once they're out there. And sometimes our words can accomplish things that we never, ever intended 
You know, in the book of James, we learned that the tongue is small, but disproportionately powerful as it relates to our life. Words have the ability to create and affect reality. This is a theme throughout the whole Bible. You see, from the very beginning, literally, words created. In Genesis, the first book of the Bible, the first book of the Bible, we find that God is the first speaker. God is the first one to use words. In the opening verse, it says, whoops, go, did I go too far? There we go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters and God said, and God said, let there be light and there was light. You see, our God is a speaking God and his words create and affect reality. He spoke the world into existence. His word brought it to be. We are not God but we are created in his image. Genesis tells us that when God created man, he breathed into his nostrils, giving him life. And if you are a Christ follower here this morning, you have living inside you the Holy Spirit. And another name for the Holy Spirit is God's breath, Ruah. Which means that because we are a reflection and made in the image of God, our words have the power to create the world that we live in. You see, words create worlds. And we know this. Words have been creating our world as long as you and I can remember. Words have created the world of our families. Words have created the world of our marriages. Words have created the world of our parenting. Words have created the world of our workplaces. And words have created the world of our hopes and dreams and our futures. And words have created the world of our souls. You see, words create worlds. And we have, over the course of our lives, have heard words that have shaped those worlds. Words that in a moment changed the way you viewed the world. Words like, I love you. Someone said that to you and it changed everything. Or, I forgive you. Or, will you marry me? Or, it's a boy. Or, it's a girl. Or, it's twins. And everything changes. <laughs> Your world is forever changed. How about words like, you're hired, or we're going to have to let you go, or I'm leaving you, or it's cancer. And in a moment, our world changes because of the power of words. Something is said to us, and we are never, ever the same. You see, words create worlds. And I guess since y'all are quiet, it seems like the place for each of us to stop and consider the question that has been haunting me all week. A question that is on the table this morning for each one of us. 
What kind of realities, worlds, are you giving shape to with the words that you speak? How would your kids answer that question? How would the people you rep who report to you at work answer that question? What about your spouse? What about your flatmate? What about your neighbor? You see, our words create worlds. And even though some of us could fill libraries with the words we have spoken, did you know that there are about 800,000 words in the English language? Now, 300,000 of those are scientific technical jargon, which frankly, I'm not using, which leaves you and I about 500,000 words to deal with. And on average, we know around 10,000 words. But on a daily basis, you and I use only about 5,000 words. So we are taking from a pool of around 5,000 words to express every idea, every emotion, every event, every desire, every dream, our sadnesses, our frustration, our anger. And with the phenomenon of this thing we call the internet, and don't get me wrong, the internet, um, there are amazing and wonderful uses for it, and I wouldn't want to be without it. But people have destroyed and ruined relationships by typing their most secret thoughts in an email and then pressing send. And there ain't no getting that back. Personal privacy has all but vanished. Anyone can say anything about anyone else, true or not. You can design a profile of the kind of person you want people to think that you are. And you can destroy the type of person everyone thinks they are simply by using words. And when we turn on the TV and watch the news, it's really hard to tell what is fake news or not. I mean, the lines are so blurred now, it's hard to discern what's true or not in the media anymore. You know, church, we can either participate with the rest of society in this verbal, this verbal explosion or we can decide to learn the power that words hold and make a commitment to using them in a godly way. I know I want that. The church, God's people, which is us, is the hope of the world. And if words direct worlds, then maybe if we harnessed our words, if I harness my words for the glory of God, we might better direct our worlds, amen? You know, during um, our study in the book of James, and it's hard to avoid the book of James because James 3 has the most concentrated paragraph in the whole of the Bible about the tongue. We learned that words are so powerful. Words are powerful. Words have impact. They give shape to reality in a way that James um, said that we must pay close attention to. We must take it seriously. And then he offers these two funny metaphors, one about a horse and one about a ship. He says, both the destiny of the horse and the destiny of the ship are determined by the small but hugely significant piece of equipment. A small bit in a horse's mouth can turn the whole animal. Think a little jockey can control a big thoroughbred with just a little piece of metal in the horse's mouth. Or a small rudder can steer a large ship, even in tough, rough conditions. In like manner, James says, words steer your life. And 
that if we can get control of what comes out of our mouths, we can steer and control the trajectory of our life. And then James changes tact. He compares the tongue to a spark, a fire, a flame. And the implication is that the words we speak do not just direct the course of our own lives, but they have deep, resounding, reality-altering implications for those around us. And like a fire, our words will spread. They will have impact. And if, for those of you who are familiar with forest fires, know that it's a combination of heat, oxygen, and fuel that creates what's talked about as the fire triangle. When these three elements come together, there's this chain reaction of spark and flame and generally one that's erratic and hard to predict and difficult to stop. And our news was dominated what seemed like for weeks with the fires in the U.S., especially from my home state in California. You know, in the same way, James is saying, understand this, your words have a chain reaction. They will set in motion a series of events, erratic and difficult to stop can be destructive, not just for you, but for everyone around you if you're not careful. You see, words are powerful. Now, check this out. I was reading this in an article the other day and reminded of it, um, just how powerful words can be. In the U.S., 1973 was marked by shortages. Now, I don't know if that happened here in New Zealand, but I remember this when I was a little girl. Um, after the stock market crashed and lost almost half of its value, there were shortages of oil, gasoline, electricity, and even onions. Um, I remember um, that you could only buy gasoline on certain days, you know, whether it was an even or odd date for you, and the lines would just be super long, people trying to get their gas. And right in the middle of this economic turmoil, another scare ignited a nationwide panic, and it all started with the rumor. In November of 1973, news agencies reported a tissue paper shortage in Japan. So, a U.S. congressman heard about this and issued a press release that said this. This is crazy. He said, the U.S. may face a serious shortage of toilet paper within a few months. A toilet paper shortage is no laughing matter. It is a problem that will potentially touch every American. <laughs> it's like, what? The media ran wild and sensationalized the story. It was joked about on late night TV. Millions of Americans swarmed grocery stores and hoarded all the toilet paper they could get, emptying the shelves, which only reinforced the rumor of the shortage. <laughs> People would go to the grocery stores and see empty shelves and go, ah, it's true. People told their friends to bring their own toilet paper to parties. <laughs> Businesses struggled to restock supplies. For four months, toilet paper was a rare commodity. It was even bartered and traded, and a toilet paper black market emerged. Isn't that great? Eventually, eventually, it takes a while for Americans. Americans realized that there had never been a toilet paper shortage. It had been artificially created by gossip and rumors because words are powerful. On a more serious note, Charles Spurgeon, 
one of the greatest ministers our world has ever had, moved his congregation to Surrey Gardens because it could seat over 10,000 people. In the very first service there, someone yelled one word, fire. Panic and chaos ensued. There wasn't a fire. Someone just yelled it for fun, and seven people died, and many, many were injured. And it almost drove Spurgeon crazy. See, words are powerful. Words also, words reveal progress. Luke 6.45 says this. A good man brings good things out of the good things stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. People's words reveal who they are. I think sometimes we can assume that as we mature in our walks with Christ, that our speech matures too. But I don't think that always lines up. Um, I forget that the things I say reveal what's in my heart. And I had someone call me out on that this week. Um, They said, I can tell that you have been doubting yourself. No, I had never said that. But when I reflected on all the comments I had been making during the week, I don't know if I can do this. Maybe they should get someone else. So-and-so said this. So-and-so said that. Even though I hadn't said it about um, doubting myself, subconsciously, that's exactly what I was screaming. I'm insecure. I doubt myself. You see, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Our words reveal our progress. And listen to this quote I read in a commentary, and I thought it was very powerful. And it says this. It says, as Americans, and let's put in Kiwis, as New Zealanders, as Kiwis, we do have the right of free speech. In our political culture, we have the right, if it's a right, nobody can stop us, to blurt out whatever we feel. But when we become Christians, we enter a new culture where we surrender that right. We stop blurting out whatever we feel. We bring our words under the judgment of God's word. The Bible says a fool gives vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. The Bible says that the power of the tongue, how great a forest fire is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the next bit hurts. It says this, do you know how many people it takes to split a church? Not half the congregation, just two. One to start spreading the fiery negativity and another not to confront that behavior as a sin that it is. See, our negative and critical words, my negative and critical words, kills community. It kills relationship. And oh God, help us with this. Help me with this. And may your word, God, um, transform our words. Proverb 18.21 says this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Do our words bring life or do they bring death? I mean, have you ever been around someone who just breathes life into you 
they, you just feel better just by being around them. Or someone who gave you a wise and gracious word at just the right time. Or who prayed with you and you felt revived in your spirit. Or have you been with someone who seems to suck the life and the air out of a room? I mean, our words are powerful. Our words reveal our progress. But words also reveal potential. Yay! There's this beautiful verse in Romans 4 that I just can't get out of my head, and it's about Abraham. I love Abraham. Now, Abraham is well known throughout Scripture. In the book of Genesis, God speaks and declares a promise over Abraham. God says to him, Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. You are going to father generations. Now, the problem with this is that Abraham and his wife, Sarah, were very, very old, well past childbearing years, and they didn't have any children. So when God declares this promise to Abraham, it sounds absolutely crazy because it sounds impossible. But God said it. And long story short, and I would encourage you to go and read it for yourself in Genesis, that crazy promise came true. You see, Abraham, he had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. You know where I'm going. I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Yeah. Romans 4, 17. I know, I did that in the first service. I thought, I'd just be, do it again. Okay, yep. Romans 4, 17 says this. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. And I love this. God who gives life to the dead and calls into being um, things that were not. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Um, what looked impossible? And Sarah's womb had closed up shop and not just for the winter. God speaks into possibility. God told Abraham that he would be a father of many nations before Abraham was even the father of one. God calls things into being that we're not. And we do this as parents. We see the potential in our children and we call it out. Yes, we hone it. We temper it, but we call it out as parents. You know, I work in a high school a couple of days um, in a high school classroom a couple days a week. And I'm telling you, sometimes it's really hard to see the potential and the good in a student, especially when they're being so naughty. You know, really. But we must, we must, we must persevere and call out the potential and possibilities in our students and our children and our young people in this church because we hope and pray that by the grace of God, it lands, take root, and flourishes. Amen? It's our responsibility. We've got to call that out. You see, our words are powerful because they can release potential and possibility in someone. And our words aren't powerful because of the phonetic sounds they make or because they are articulate. No, they are powerful because it is one heart telling another heart, this is what I see in you. I believe in you. You can do this. Let me help you. 
In the beginning, God called, God, God called forth something out of nothing. And for Abraham, God called forth something out of nothing. And for many of you here this morning, my prayer is that during the Power of series, that God is going to call something out of you. And especially for those of you who believe that you are nothing. And I feel like God would say to you this morning, that thinking ends today. That thinking ends today. God is going to call you to things that you never dreamed were possible simply because the power of words, the power of his words. Amen? Amen. Now, I want to close today with a story that I think powerfully draws us all together and powerfully illustrates the reality that words can change a life. It's a story I heard about a man named Rabbi Michael Weiser. That's him with the long black coat. In 1991, um, the rabbi moved to the town of Lincoln, Nebraska, with his wife and their five children. Just a day after they moved in, the phone rang, and the voice on the other end started hurling racial insults at the rabbi, calling him Jew boy, and quite violently insisting that he and his family were not welcome in his town. The next day, a package arrived at the rabbi's home and it contained anti-Semitic materials and an unsigned card that read, the KKK is watching you, scum. There was a man in the community named Larry Trapp who was the leader of the local KKK chapter. Rabbi Weister kind of guessed that the threats were coming from Larry, and they were. So Rabbi Weister found Larry's phone number and once a week, the rabbi would make a point to call Larry. Larry never picked up the phone, so every week the rabbi would simply leave a message on his answering machine, some words of encouragement or love. He would say things to him like, there's a lot of love out there, Larry, and you're not getting any of it. Don't you want some? And then he'd hang up. And the next week, he'd call again and leave another message, offering to drive Larry to the grocery store if he ever needed it because he'd heard that Larry had diabetes and both of his legs had been amputated. This went on for months. No answer, but Rabbi Weiser just kept at it. Then late one night, the rabbi's phone rang, and it was Larry Trapp. Larry simply said, I want to get out and what I'm doing, of what I'm doing, but I don't know how. In other words, I want to change my reality. I want to change the world I'm living in. I want to change the world that my words have created. And that night, the rabbi and his wife drove to Larry's home. They spent three hours speaking with the, this KKK leader, and a friendship of sorts developed. And over the next several months, Mr. Trapp left the Ku Klux Klan. He made public apologies to those he had harmed. He began attending synagogue and the, with the rabbi and his family. And pretty soon, Larry's health worsened, and he moved into the rabbi's home 
where he was cared for by Rabbi Weiser and his family until his eventual death. Right there in the rabbi's home, the very same place where Larry mailed words of hate, he died surrounded and embraced by love and friendship. Isn't that incredible? I love that image. And, and I'm brought back to the Im of, image of Jesus on the cross in his final painful moments of life, granting forgiveness to the thief next to him on the cross, asking the father that he would forgive the people who had killed him. And until the very end, Jesus used his words to continue the work of the father, to fill the world with living potentiality. I want to ask you, who might be the Larry in your life? Who needs the living words that Jesus offers that might come through you, through your sweet mouth? And if I could invent the band up, that'd be great. I want to close by saying this. I just want to be clear that the point of this sermon is not for me to tell you, well, we, need, we all need to talk nicer. Don't say as much. Be quiet. Unless you have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. Do we need to be more mindful of the things that we say? Absolutely, absolutely. But that's not the whole point. Jesus said that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. We don't need to watch our mouths as much as we need to watch our hearts. What's happening within us is what will affect what comes out of our mouth. Changing our hearts, changing our hearts is God's speciality. It's what Jesus came and died to do. And the new covenant that Jesus brought takes our hearts of stone. And as we trust him and as we follow him, he gives us new hearts, hearts of flesh that will move us to obey his commands and his decrees. New hearts that beat and pulse with life and affection for him. May you, church, loved ones, may you carve out time this week to soak in God's presence, to soak in his words, and soak in his love for you. Unless we first let the truth of God's love find its way to the very core of our being, our struggle with words will forever be a losing battle. It's important. Why? Because the awareness, the truth of God's heart, His love, His grace, His mercy, His forgiveness towards us is where we find our identity. It's where we find security, and without it, we become reactive and defensive. And man, I learned that this week. We always feel like we'll have something to prove. We will tear others down, we will boast, we will gossip. May we honestly take stock at how our words have shaped our worlds. Talk to God about it. Bring it all to Him. All that's on your heart, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and let church let the healing begin psalm 1914 says this let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to acceptable to you O lord my rock and my redeemer. amen